Do you dread parent-teacher conferences? Well, we're going to change that. 10 tips for a successful parent-teacher conference. Welcome to Epic Mom Life. I am your host, Kara Peterson. This show is sponsored by The Possum's Tale, a unique book adventure for your 6 to 12-year-old child. Let's jump into today's show. Do you dread parent-teacher conferences? Do you think, you know, it's really close to the beginning of the year. My kid's a pretty good kid, and it's kind of a waste of my time. I really don't want to go. Well, we're going to change that. 10 tips for a successful parent-teacher conference. Parent-teacher conferences are a wonderful opportunity for you and the teacher to gel as a team to bring your child success to bring your child academic success and happiness in the upcoming year. It's a chance for you to get to know the teacher and the teacher to get to know you, and it enables you to discuss any concerns, learning tips, and fun personality traits or hobbies or things that make your kiddo special. Take this opportunity to start the year on a great foundation for your child. Number one, the meeting. You do not like it when someone wastes your time. Your child's teacher is on a really tight schedule. Think about all of the students she has, whether in elementary and say it's, I don't know, 25 to 30 kids, or if it's in middle school and he has, say, 160 kids. There's a lot of students and a lot of parents that could potentially be coming. Those meetings may be slated for only 15-minute meetings. So be on time and be prepared and only have enough information for that meeting. I needed at least 30 minutes for my parent-teacher conferences. So if I was only slated for 15 minutes, I would email the teacher and request a half-hour meeting time. If that was not available, I would say 15 minutes is not going to be enough time. I really value this opportunity to meet with you. Can we schedule another time at an Can we schedule a meeting at another time for a half hour? Number 2, introduction. Introduce yourself. I'm not talking just your name or hey, I'm Shelby's parent, but introduce who you are in your child's life. This will be all of those sticky things like if parents are co-parenting or if you work really late these days and you can't help with homework on these days or if you're able to do pickup on these days. However you are showing up in your kid's life, it really helps your teacher to get a full idea. If your teacher is giving homework on a daily basis that requires a little bit of input, accountability, that kind of thing. And you'll be talking about your child's personality later. If your child needs a little bit more hand-holding to get stuff done afterwards and you're not available to hold their hand, this is where you're going to want to be talking about strategies so that you can make sure that your child gets that. And it may be that your child needs to show up earlier for school or stays later so that your teacher can help get that done or they can do some kind of study hall. Because some of some of my parents are just working and they can't be there for that. But the teacher needs to be aware of the obstacles that you're facing. 
Another really important part of how you're going to show up in your kid's life and introduction of who you are is who are you as far as how do you support the teacher? Your kid's going to come home with a lot of really, really big stories. Kids love stories, and stories are rampant on every schoolyard. With every story, there's a grain of truth, but with each telling, do you remember telephone? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, plus embellishment is so much fun. Well, by the time it comes to you, it sounds like something awful or huge or whatever has happened. I mean, it's become really big. If you go straight to the teacher, that helps the teacher to either know what the issue is, because they may not have even known this happened, or to let you know what actually happened at the kernel of the truth. And then you can, dis you can disseminate how you want, but at least you have both sides of whatever happened. Three, student strengths. Your teacher has not had a lot of time to get to know your child. Come with all of your students' strengths. It's really helpful for the teacher to know exactly how your child learns best. Do they love to be called on? Some students want that constant interaction. If your child is a child, and this might be something we talk more about in challenges, but if your child has a tendency to act out or talk to their neighbor, does it help if the teacher walks by a lot and is constantly near them? How you're really good at group work or discussions or follow through or homework or organization? Or can your child be counted on to be a positive leader if the, child ne if the teacher needs help? Does your child love to help others? Like would they be good for a new student? All of those kind of things really help the teacher and it takes out a lot of guesswork. Number four, student challenges. So this is a more difficult category. We kind of touched on this. If you have a child that gets led into group discussions when group discussions aren't supposed to be happening or acts out, one of the best tactics is a teacher that is constantly roaming the room. And if they're constantly present, it's harder for a child to get sucked into that behavior. Another thing is if, you, if the teacher knows right off the bat exactly what causes your child to struggle, he or she may be able to head a lot of those off before they happen. For example, if your child doesn't do well in the back of the room, then the teacher can automatically move them to a middle row or if they're in tables or if they, if they get distracted if they're by the door, all of these kind of things. If the child is um, a follower and is easily led by others and doesn't do well in group work, that doesn't mean that they won't have group work. But the teacher, when they're assembling the groups, might look differently at the people that he or she puts them in. If the child is, okay, so I had a child that was like the child that every teacher would put as the leader in the group. Teachers have a whole formula for groups that were actually taught in teacher school. So one of the roles that we put in there is the child that is most likely to keep the group on task and to help the, the group succeed. Well, my older child was that child that they thought would do that. Well, yes, he can do that on his own. He's very good at doing that. He's very accountable to himself. He gets good grades. He follows through. He's organized. All of these things that they would think would make him great at that. He doesn't do any of that in a group. He doesn't like to tell people what to do. 
he, he's not a taskmaster. So I had to tell them, when you're formulating your groups, do not count on my son to be the one in charge. Count on him to be one of the two middle type kids because usually they have the leader, the two in the middle kids, and then they have they disperse the kids that might not do the work that they're assigned in the groups. They, they can't have all of those kids in one group. That's kind of how it all works out. With teachers, when teachers know how this works, they're better able to help your kids succeed. And when it's group work, the other groups will, the groups will succeed as well. Five, reading level. This is a really important thing for you to know if you don't already know it. Once your child enters fourth grade, a lot of the success they have in other subjects like science and social studies will be dependent upon their skills in reading. And that's simply because they're given these texts, you may remember them, where they read the facts in science or in social studies and then remember they have the important things to know or the answer these questions or those kind of things. The worksheets where you read about them and then you answer the questions, you summarize, all of that kind of stuff. All of that is dependent upon being able to read, and not only read, but you're able to read nonfiction, which is actually a whole nother hump that they have to get over, but read nonfiction and comprehend it. If your child is behind in reading, this becomes a challenge for them. You'll want to discuss with the teacher any kind of difficulties your child has and possible strategies, because one strategy is going to definitely be Please do not cause embarrassment to my child by calling on them to read out loud. A lot of teachers will do that popcorn thing where one kid calls on another kid that calls on another kid. I have seen students exhibit plenary behaviors so that they disrupt the class, so they disrupt the reading, so that people think that they are a bad child instead of a stupid child. And it's not that the teachers think that they're stupid, but they don't want their classmates to think they're stupid because they can't read. And I don't mean can't read. I'm, I'm going to extra emphasis as if I were the kid. This is what the kid is thinking. The kid is thinking, I can't read like everybody else reads. I am stupid. I'm going to get called on to read out loud. Therefore, it's way better if I just do something silly and that will cause the teacher to get angry at me so that I get removed or put in this corner and that way I won't have to read. And this will end up causing so many other difficulties when all it has to do with, and I don't mean all to minimize it, but if you were to get to the crux of it, it has to deal with this child who's behind in reading. And we just need to get to dealing with that. We want to help your child read. The teacher won't have any clue of any of this, but you can help them with that. Six, friends. Are you concerned? I think almost every single parent in the history of parents has been concerned about their child and their child's friends, lack of friends, choice of friends, whatever. What are your concerns specifically? How can the teacher help? Is there anything the teacher can be on the lookout for? I had a child who was bullied horribly. I mentioned this to a high school teacher. I was actually one of the very few parents. There's probably 2% of all of the parents who show up for parent-teacher conferences in high school. I showed up, I mentioned it to one of the parents, and the teacher mentioned that she op she's at school like an hour before school starts. She says, my room is open. He is welcome to come in and help me in the mornings. That was the best year for my child and I, simply because 
I wasn't worried, my child wasn't worried and anxious and nervous, it was a good year. And that never would have happened if I wouldn't have just opened my mouth and shared that concern. Teachers can't read your minds. They can't figure out a solution. But when you express the concern, it's amazing way you two can be a team together and you can solve these problems because that's all you really want to happen. So now we're going to transition from what you have to offer to asking the teacher questions. You're going to listen. This is really important. You're going to take notes and you're going to ask questions if you have any. This is really important. This is not an opportunity for you to change the way the teacher does things. This is a way for you to learn how you can support your child in the way the teacher does things this year. So I think we're on number eight, maybe expectations. What are expectations in the classroom? Is there a routine that is done daily? What is expected from your child to be prepared for class each day? What should you expect for homework nightly? This goes back to what we were talking about in number one. So. How are you going to handle homework if you're not there and your child doesn't love to do things and tends to let those things slide? How do they handle big projects? Oh my heck, this is going to be one of the biggest tear jerkers for you starting in middle school because that's when those big projects start to be a thing usually other than the science projects in elementary from my experience. If you have a teacher who does the big projects and they just say, here's the assignment, we're so excited, it's due in a month, and your child is like, great, and then the day before it's due says, oh my heck, I have an entire Egyptian sarcophagus that I have to do, and they have nothing done, and they have a report they have to write, plus they have to build it, and they have all these things, that's going to be a disaster. You're going to want to know if progress is checked at different stages and it's kind of done in the classroom or if this is something that is expected to be done at home and then turned in because those are two completely different ways of dealing with it and those are two completely different ways of things that could happen at home in, in, in a way of uh, results, especially if you have a procrastinator for a kid. Number eight. Oh, so the last one was number seven. Number eight is classroom management. Every teacher has a way of managing their classroom. You may agree, you may not agree, but classroom management is something that has to happen. In the younger years, I have oftentimes seen a red light, green light system or a, sometimes they have like a big bubble gum like thing on the, on the board and they, they put bubble gum pieces in or take bubble gum pieces out or and these are like pretend bubblegum pieces, but there's a system. In middle school, um, there can be things like logs, there can be um, smiley faces, which seems kind of odd at middle school, but it depends on how hard of a time your teacher is having. Sometimes it can just be that this kid is asked to leave, and like I know that I had a desk in my room that was basically a desk that other teachers could fill with a student, and other teachers had empty desks that I could fill with a student because when the student is taken out of my room and put into another room, they were less likely to behave in a manner that would disrupt that classroom, but they would be disrupting my classroom. You need to know what is happening because in the little, in the younger grades, if, if they're doing this red light, green light system and they're expecting you to reinforce those behaviors, um, 
like say, oh my gosh, you were so great today. I'm so excited you got a green light. Well, that reinforces that your child should behave in a specific way. If they got a red light, you say, hmm, seems like today was a hard day. Tell me about it. What happened? And, you know, what do you think we can change? Your teacher doesn't have time to go over all of those things. They're actually asking you to do that without asking you. So you need to have that verbal conversation with them. And you need to know that that onus is on you. If the child is being asked to leave a classroom in the older grades, this is critical. And they're going, if they're leaving a lot, they're missing information in the classroom they were supposed to be in. How is that teacher making sure they're not missing out on important learning? Because that isn't fair to the student, even if they were the one who's disrupting the learning, they still need to learn that. Otherwise, they're going to, I mean, if they're behaving, misbehaving a lot, are you being informed of this? Something needs to happen so there isn't this huge communication gap and you find out at the end of the second semester that your child spent half of the semester in another room and they failed this class. That would be a horrible awakening. So you want to know how this is happening and what is happening. And so how can they communicate this to you? And how can you reinforce them? And how can you help them so that everybody comes out of this feeling okay and supported? Number nine, grading. Assess the students. Are there weekly quizzes? Does he or she do an observation assessment on topics? This is an important thing that most parents miss, and I'll tell you why this is important. Observation assessments can be done with no grade. They can just be a quick, you know, everybody pull up their whiteboards and give me, you know, like answer this question. And if you see 90% say yes, and the answer is yes, you can move on to the next topic. And you as a teacher, no, you taught the subject, people understand, you can move on. That can be an observation assessment. That's great. It can also be done for a grade. As a language arts teacher, we can, be, we can have read something and we can have a discussion or a debate. And I can tell the students, you will be graded based on if you contribute to the discussion. We are here for 45 minutes, you only have to contribute once. And I will do check marks based on that. That will be a graded observation assessment. If your child is in sports or pullouts or whatever and they're constantly missing that time when I do that assessment, then we need to figure out how they can make that up. That's a really hard thing to make up. I don't know how they make that up, but you and I need to figure that out because it's not fair that they would not get, that they would get a zero for that because they had a talented and gifted class that always happens at that time or something like that. But these are the things that you'll want to listen to and you won't be critical. You won't be challenging. You'll say, oh, an observation assessment. Is that so that you are aware of what you should move on for a teacher, you know, as a teacher to teach, like, you know, how much your students have learned or do you grade on this? Like, you know, who's contributing or that kind of thing, because that gives you an idea of what kind of questions to ask. And I think those are completely legitimate questions. Um, what is the makeup policy? And, and I touched on this, but this is why this is really important. It's okay for teachers to give zeros. It's okay for them to say, you know, you have the ability to do makeup work if you're sick, but otherwise, if it's late, it's late, and I don't accept that. It's especially okay once they get into middle school because they're teaching them about deadlines. It's okay for students to learn that they need to be held accountable and they need to have deadlines. I think that's a good thing. Some parents get really 
bent out of shape about that. They get really upset. Oh, my teacher, or my kids shouldn't receive a zero. They shouldn't get an F. They were really busy doing sports. They were really busy doing this. You need to have that conversation before, not after. Because the teacher thinks that their academics are really important. So you, you guys need to come together as a team, not with you saying this and you say, and the teacher saying that. So we need to figure this out. But it's okay for the kids to get a zero if they aren't holding up their end of what needs to be done. So then you need to figure that out before the zero, not after the zero. Let me explain to you what a zero does, because this is critical. A 100%, meaning your kid did the best ever, is an A in a typical grading system. An F, where they only got 50% of the questions or the answers right on 100 points, right? A 50, that's an F. Well, when you average those two together, you get a 75, which is a C, a very solid average grade. People think Cs are bad. That's average. Okay, average is a lot of your people out there. Okay, so you could bomb something and ace something and you could be average and that's okay however if you don't turn something in you get a zero and then you get a 100 percent awesome 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 and you're at a 50 which is below an f by the way okay so that's that means that you then need another hundred to get back up to that average so you need two one to take care of that zero just to get back up to that c so a zero, one zero, is devastating to your child. So you want to avoid, at all costs, zeros. Even if your child only is able to complete half of the work and get their name on it, that is better if, if your teacher has no late policy than turning in nothing. Emotional well-being. By the time the parent-teacher conferences occur, your teacher may have had a chance to notice if there's something happening with your child, a particular social situation, or areas that make your child seem overwhelmed or uncomfortable, or if your child seems unnaturally isolated. Ask if they've noticed anything and ask if there's any cause for concern or if they have any suggestions for you. It may be that the teacher has noticed something, but it hasn't come to the front of their brain. But then once you ask them, they can be, oh, you know what? Now that you mention it, yeah. I actually have. Put that in them so that you're saying, I would really value your opinion. Let me know. And then I have a bonus tip for you. Tutoring. It seems that tutoring is much more popular on the East Coast than the West Coast. And I would recommend tutoring at all levels as a casual thing. When you notice your child is just slipping through the cracks, give them a bump. Give them a little bit of tutoring because how they feel about themselves academically is huge for self-esteem. It's enormous. Self-esteem and confidence and all those kind of things are things that parents are constantly searching for. How do I help my child in this? If they can do well in school, and I'm not talking straight A's, I'm not talking the kid that always has all the answers, I'm talking if they are confident when the teacher calls on them to read out loud. I am talking that they can pay attention to what, the, what is being said in class and they can follow and they can learn that. That's huge. That tells them that they are bright enough to learn. When they start to feel that they aren't these things, when they can't figure out their times tables, 
Times tables are huge. If your kiddo is not able to memorize their times tables, they're going to have trouble with fractions. They're going to have trouble with division. They're going to have trouble with decimals. All of these things, I mean, that you're just snowballing a lifetime full of problems. And that starts in third grade. So get them that tutoring help to get those times tables. Get them that tutoring help to learn how to read fluently. And notice, talk to your teachers. Does my child have any difficulty comprehending nonfiction? I know that sounds really off. People don't even think about that. But understanding fiction and understanding nonfiction are two completely different things. Fiction's a lot more entertaining. Nonfiction, that becomes everything the grades are based on. Find out early, and if your child has trouble, get them that tutoring help. We're talking, this could be like three or four tutoring sessions, and it could make an enormous difference in your child's life. So you can talk to your teacher, see if they do help before school and after school, see if they know tutors. Your school may have a list of tutors, and there's a place called Kumon, and they actually do drill and kill. It's not creative, it's not entertaining, there's no manipulatives, but they also teach really great study habits. So if study habits are a thing with your kid, it's like 15 minutes every single day. These are good things to teach your child. Your goal is that your child has an academically successful and happy school year. When you offer helpful information about your child, ask good questions, and connect with the teacher as a teammate, the parent-teacher conference experience leaves everyone feeling satisfied. The movie quote for this week is, you two have managed to accomplish something together that no one ever has. You surprised me. Dean Hart's Monsters University. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, I want to send you a huge thank you. Please leave me a comment or review and share with other moms you know. Get in touch in the comments or on Kara's social media networks. See you next week for a new episode.